Good afternoon. I invite you to take your Bibles out and open them up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'll be reading from here in just a short second. I'm always encouraged and lifted up um, at every opportunity that we have to be together. Um, every opportunity that we have to come and, and share with one another and to worship God together and lift one another up. And I'm always strengthened by your all's knowledge of Scripture whenever we study the Bible together and when we sing songs of praise. And, and we're going to think about those things here in just a moment. But I want to challenge us to think beyond that. Um, what we do here is a collective and how we encourage and lift up and, and are a part of one another's lives in those manners as well. In Acts chapter 2, there's a very important passage that we read that sometimes gets glossed over because of verses surrounding it. I want to start reading in verse 40. And it says, With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. I want to just stop right there for a minute. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 42 are just as important as Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And we need to see that. And I believe we all do, but sometimes we can begin to think that Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is the linchpin of all of the Christian faith, and that just unfortunately is not true. There is... There is much more that God had to share with us, much more that He desires from us. And even in these verses I read, there's key words that we draw out when we read through it. Baptized. It's an important word. Apostles' doctrine. Breaking of bread, which refers to the Lord's Supper. We pull these things out. These are very important to us in our faith. But there's another word in there that sometimes we overlook. And it's in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in fellowship. Fellowship. It's this idea of companionship, camaraderie, friendship even. In fact, if you look it up online, the definition in the dictionary for fellowship is defined as an association with people who share an interest. Now, the way the Bible tends to use that in scriptures, it's similar to that. It usually is described as people who are joined together in agreement. So in the scriptures... These early disciples continued steadfastly in fellowship. What exactly does that mean? I want to spend a little bit of time looking this afternoon because I believe fellowship is something that easily takes a back seat in our lives. It's very easy for us to focus on the much more important in our mind uh, efforts of worship. Uh, the, the lifting one another up in song and in hymn and spiritual song, admonishing one another. But what about fellowshipping with one another? To begin... Let's see that before we can understand, before we can understand fellowship in that sense, before we can understand fellowship as it's described here in Acts chapter 2, fellowship with one another, before we can start there, we have to start with the, the fellowship that that is based off of. And the fellowship that is based off of is our fellowship, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So turn over to Romans chapter 6 with me for just a moment. Romans chapter 6. And in verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. 
How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. In Romans 6, we find baptism as a form of identification for those who have connected to the death of Christ. Now, we might not like to think about it that way because sometimes that's the same terminology that our friends in the denominational worlds use. Baptism is a form of identification, but we need to see that it is. All too often when we focus on baptism, we miss that. We miss that it identifies us as one who is connected with the death of Christ. Through the death of Christ and subsequently our baptism, we are joined with Him in a companionship in which we share a likeness with Him, and that is His death. But as Paul went on to, to in Romans 6, it moves beyond that to also His life. We are to share a likeness with His life as well. He goes on to say that this connection with His death also means that we are connected with the glory, with the power that raised Him back to life, like we talked about this morning. And it's raising us to a new life as well. And so with that kind of in the backdrop of our minds, Paul is making this connection between baptism and, and us connecting with God, plugging into the power of God that brought Jesus from the, from the grave, from death, back to life, and how it, when we connect to that, we can be also brought from death and sin back to newness uh, or to newness of life. So with that in thought in mind, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and start reading with me in verse 19. Now, therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now I hope you noticed what the, the language he was using there. He says you are no longer. There you go. Uh, you at one time were a stranger, a foreigner, an alien before God. He says, no longer, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You have a new relationship that is described in the New King James as the household of God. Dare I say, the family of God. That's why the Hebrew writer makes that clear when he speaks of Jesus and says that he is unashamed to call us his brethren. We have been brought into the family of Christ, the family of God. <clears throat> And we have this new relationship because of what we see in verse 18. It was through Him, through Christ, that we have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now that should sound very similar to what we just read in Romans. That through Christ, through His death, we have access to the Father and through the power, a connection to the death of Christ in baptism that provides us access to the power and glory of God which raised Him from life and raised us to life as well. And so I want us to make sure that we start this whole look at fellowship off on the right foot. Fellowship with God involves being intimately connected with the death of Christ 
and the life of Christ and the power of God. A lot of times we think of fellowship as just simply the door. Or I'm sorry, baptism. As just simply the door. This is just what you do to be saved. Baptism is just what you do to be saved. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism now does save us. Mark 16.16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. None of what I'm saying up here today contradicts that. That is absolutely true. But what we are finding out is that if you take a step back, you find the more important teaching that Jesus and His apostles are trying to bring out, and that is why baptism saves. Because baptism brings us into fellowship with God. Baptism brings us into a right relationship with God. It brings us from death into life. And we can tell people all day long, you need to be baptized to be saved. You need to be baptized to be saved. And a lot of times the response we get is, why? And we say, I don't know. That's just what I was always told. We need to know why. We need to be able to give an answer for the reason we believe what we believe. And the reason we believe baptism is so essential and not just some important thing that you might do if you're going to believe in God but essential to being in a right relationship with God is because it brings you into connection with the death of Christ, which brings you into connection with the blood or the power and glory of God, which brings you into the family. And that is where fellowship is found with God. In His family. In that family relationship. And so, with that in mind, I want to give us a few ideas on how can we increase fellowship with one another here at Lake Street today. How can we do that? But I want to begin by first saying, I don't think we have terrible fellowship. I don't want this to come across. Kyle just doesn't think we have any fellowship. There's no fellowship going on at all here. That's not what I'm saying. We don't have terrible fellowship. I'm saying there's room to grow. I want you to think of the Thessalonians. We're going to get to this verse later on. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, down around verse 11. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11. Nope. 10, sorry, 9 and 10. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. You hear what Paul's saying there? He's saying, I don't need to tell you about brotherly love because you already got brotherly love figured out. You're already doing brotherly love. So the one thing I'm going to tell you is keep doing brotherly love. Paul says, I know you're doing a great job with this. But there's always room to grow. There's always room to add to, to, to the things that we have well before God. And so even with our fellowship, we have room to grow. In many ways, we have good fellowship here with one another. But I would like to say and I would like to see us do and, and ponder things that will continue to help us to increase more and more in fellowship towards one another. And having said that, I just want to give us this afternoon, very quickly, three things. Three things that I think will help us to continue to increase in this way. Number one, and this shouldn't be a shocker, treat one another like a family. If fellowship is that camaraderie, that, that, that friendship, that family relation with God then that's what we should have with ourselves too, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do we think about each other? How do we think about our fellow brothers and sisters of Christ? There's a couple of things that I would ask you to ponder just to yourself in private. Are the fellow members sitting around you, are they fellow members of an exclusive group that is seeking to make a difference in this world? 
Are they a group of good people that share a same desire as you? And are they people who say nice, th nice things to you and that makes, in turn, you want to say nice things back to them? Think about those three things for just a second. Does that describe your brothers and sisters sitting around you? A group of people that want to change the world for the better, a group of people that, that, that love you and say nice things to you, make you feel good, and a group of people that have the same desire as you. I hope, I hope that as we think about that, the answer is yes. I hope we say, yeah, those things are absolutely true. But I also hope that we understand that we need to stretch that farther because that is the exact same answer that I could give to someone in the Kiwanis Club who is looking and going, you know what, I want to make the, the, the world around me better and I have the same desires as you and I like you and I want to talk nice to you and I hope that you want to talk nice to me. So I hope that we see that there needs to be more to the answer of this question than just yes, it needs to go deeper. Because what I described before, the fellowship with God is what makes this all different. The difference between a host of, of clubs and societies and groups that could be described the same way is that they may have the, all these same relationships, but they are not the family of God. But we are. We are the family of God. And since this is true, we need to treat one another like more than just fellow members of a club. More than just fellow members of a really good club. You know, you talk to some of these people who have been in the... You know, I'm trying to think of clubs off the top of my head. The Lions Club. All the ones that you used to see on the side of Golden Corral when you go in and sit down. They'd have all those clubs that meet. I'm trying to think of them off the top of my head. You think the people that have been in these, and they talk about, that's a great club to be a part of. They're doing good things in the community. And they're all, we're like a close-knit family. We love one another. We treat one another with kindness. And those things are true. They're not lying. Those things are true. How much more so should it be for the family of God if it's true of, of these worldly um, organizations? You know, when I say treat one another like family members, we should all pretty well have a good idea of what that means. Having beloved family relationships ourselves, if you're like me, you probably, you, you probably have spent lots of times in your life getting to know everything you can about what the family is up to, what's going on in their lives. You want to know all the things that are going good right now, all the things that make them happy, all the things that they're rejoicing over. You want to know about the bad things too. You want to know where they're having hardships. How can I help out? What can I do to, to assist you? And most importantly, you want to know all the embarrassing things that you can just laugh and sit around and, and hold over their heads. For, maybe not most importantly, but we do. We want to know those as well. That's family relationships. I want to be as much a part of your life as I possibly can. And so to do that, what do we do? We spend time with one another. We spend time at family gatherings. We spend time on the phone. We spend time one-on-one. -on -one. We go to visit. We get online. Whatever it is we can do to be in someone's life. If it's going, I'm going to work in your yard. I'm going to, you know, we, we build a, help build a swing set for mom and dad on, on Saturday. We go and spend time. Find out what's going on. We're talking as we're doing all this and catching up. We do that. We understand that in that family relationship sense. Whatever the opportunity is, I want to be more a part of you than I was before. And if we want to build true fellowship, and if we want to foster an environment for it to grow even more, we have to love one another in the same way. And does that mean that we always are going to like one another? Well, does that mean we always like one, everyone in our families? No. 
No, you don't. There's always that time when you're gathered together and there's that one uncle, that auntie, uh, that, that, that one person in your family is just like, oh, I love them, but I could just about not spend this time with them right now. And if you don't have that, you might be that. So <laughs> be mindful of it. Um, but we always have that one family. And there's plenty of times we gather together and they rub you the wrong way. They say things that are mean. They, they say things that are annoying. They tell the same joke or the same story over and over and over again. And we love them for it. We don't like them all the times, but we love them. We treat them with mercy and grace and we extend our arms still even though it's maybe not the most comfortable thing. And so that brings up the next question. Does it cost us something? Yes, it will always cost us something to be a part of a family. Families aren't free. We are involved with one another and it costs us to be uncomfortable. It costs us to get hurt. And sometimes we are the ones that are getting picked on and, and, and maybe even unjustifiably so, but we're also the ones that get picked up, get encouraged when we need it. And we laugh and we get so uncomfortable with one another that maybe we even lose track of, of, of our senses and we tell those un comfortable and uh, embarrassing stories of our lives that everyone's just sitting around ready to hear. If we're going to have fellowship, if we're going to have true fellowship in God, we have to have the sort of relationship that continues to build on this relationship that we have with one another. The problem is that what we're describing is a very comfortable, sometimes uncomfortable, but, but a very uh, worldly sense of, of family relationship. We see that when we get together for, for dinners and, and you know, holidays. We, we see this sort of relationship, but yet we're trying to do this while we're coming together before a holy God in worship. And you see, we have fellowship here as well. We join together in agreement that God is our Father. We join together in agreement that we are His temple. We join together in agreement that as we partake the, uh, uh, of the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, that we are commemorating the death of Christ until He comes again, and we are, we are having a fellowship at this time and singing and praying. Don't get me wrong. We do participate with one another in fellowship. But in that participation, in that respectable participation, in that reverent participation, there's not really a lot of room for what goes on in our family gatherings. Because the focus at these times, while it is somewhat on one another, it's a lot on God and us. And so that brings up a next point. We need to have these sorts of relations. But we need to remember 1 Peter 4.9 as well. 1 Peter 4.9, and we're going to take the verse completely out of context and then stick it back in context. 1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. We love to read that verse. We love to throw that verse around to people. You need to be doing this. This, this is what Peter told you to do. Why? Why was Peter saying be hospitable? To understand that, you have to go back to the beginning of the chapter. The beginning of the chapter in verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he has suffered in the flesh, has, increased, has uh, ceased from sin. Peter said this, because he's pointing back to the suffering of Christ. And he says, guys, you have to have the same mind as him. What was the mind of Christ? It was that he didn't pretend the suffering wasn't going on. 
He talked about this morning that there was joy in his life. I think me and Sister Paula talked about this, that he had joy for the joy set before him. He went to the cross, but he didn't pretend like it wasn't there. He didn't pretend like, oh, everything's just hunky-dory. He knew there is hardship in front of me. And yet, what did he do at some of the, the times closest to the end of his life? He pulled his closest family together his apostles, and he spent time with them. We need to have the same mind as Christ whenever he was suffering. He goes on saying in verse 4, In regard to these, they, and he's speaking about people in the world now, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So he tells you, have the same mind of Christ, because the world is going to think you are strange. Because you don't do everything like them. We have to stand apart from the world. Now, granted, sometimes it's not going to be, <coughs> excuse me, not going to be as noticeable as others. Thessalonica, I think we would have stood out a whole lot more than we stood out in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I believe we would stand out a whole lot more in Las Vegas than we stand out in Nicholasville, Kentucky. The truth is we surround ourselves oftentimes with people who by and large, for the most part, believe in God, believe in Jesus Christ, and just argue and disagree with how we're supposed to serve Him. But we still stand out. We still stand out when we stand for the truth. Just like the Thessalonica stood out when they um, connected their, their faith with suffering and joy. And he said, there's an example being set there. And sometimes when we stand out, people look at us and they think, that's strange. That's not what I would do. That's not the way that I think things should be done. And Peter even goes on to say during this time, they're speaking evil of you. But he brings it all back together in verse 7 and says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. They lived in a world of suffering. They lived in a world where they stood out. They lived in a world where they didn't have anyone else to lean on but God and their family. And so he says, you recognize that. Have the same mind of Christ. Look at the world. See the suffering. Don't ignore it. Embrace it. Embrace it and realize that you're different from the rest of the world because the rest of the world hasn't entered into fellowship with God the way that you have. And your brethren have entered into fellowship in God. So what do you need to do during this time? You need to recognize the end is that near. You need to be serious. You need to watch. Verse 8, you need to have fervent love. In verse 9, you need to be hospitable to one another. We have a very real need to connect with one another as a family. We have a very real need to come before God with reverence and holiness and worship to Him. And I believe Peter is extending our relationship here in chapter 4, verse 9, outside of just the gathering together in worship. Because the world you live in is coming to an end. Love one another and find ways to be hospitable to one another. And can that happen in worship? Of course it can. I'm not suggesting it can't. Of course it can be. We can be hospitable to one another as we come together in worship. But it's far more likely that he's talking about things happening outside of their worship assemblies in their everyday life. They walk down the street and they're being beaten and they're having their homes stolen from them and people are hating them. And he's saying, you be there for your brethren because they're your family and because you have the same mind as Christ. So we should be the kind of people we should be the kind of people who want to do that same thing. We may not find as many of our brethren in need of a roof over their head. 
We might not find as many of our brethren in need for a hot meal, a glass of cold water, but does that mean that we don't offer it to them? We should be the same kind of people that even though the need isn't as great, we still want to provide hospitality to our family members. We still want to open our houses to them. We want to go out and have meals together. We want to make time to study with one another. We want to make time to sing with one another. We want to make time to just be together. Sometimes I think we, we think that hospitality means we open our homes and we do the same thing that we're doing right now in our homes. It goes beyond that to just having a family relationship. We open our homes and we play card games together. We open our homes and we sit down and we just talk and drink coffee. We go see a movie. We go hiking. We do something together because we love one another and we recognize the rest of the world thinks I'm strange, but this is my family. And we're walking to the same place. But the problem is, and the problem is sometimes we get just a bit too self-centered in our lives. And it's very easy for that to happen. We get maybe the mentality that says, I would love for those things to happen. Who's going to be the one to do it? Who's going to be the one to open their house? Who's going to be the one to invite me? How come I never get invited to these things? We say, you know, that seems like a really, that sounds like a lot of planning. A lot of hard work needs, is going to go into that. Or, or one of my personal favorites, and I'm sure there's people in here that have, that have fallen into this category, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but my house is just too much of a mess. My house is just too messy. I don't want anybody to see my house messy. This is not about planning, what I'm talking about today. It's not about waiting for someone else. It's not about clean houses. It's about family love. It's about family relationships, family time. And so I want to finish with one last tip. We need to not let excuses interfere with our fellowship. We live in a time of great convenience, and for that I am very thankful because I like convenience. I like convenient things. But what that has done is bred in our society a culture of laziness. And all too often we are more influenced by our culture than we are by the Bible. We sacrifice time with one another in fellowship because of technology. I, I'll just check the pictures on Facebook and I'll see what happened. I'll, 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 I'll maybe shoot them a FaceTime video and see how they're doing. I'll Skype with them later. Or I'll creep around online, one of my personal favorites. I'll just creep around and see what they're doing and how their life is going, all the pictures they're posting up on Facebook and on Instagram. If that's how you connect with me, let me tell you right now, you're not connecting with Kyle Blevins. You're connecting with Big K, whatever my name is on Instagram. Because you're not getting the real me. You're not getting the hashtag no filter me. You're getting what I want you to see. I'm putting out there exactly what I want people to see about me. To see the real person and to feel the real problems and to join in with the real joys, we've got to have interaction with one another. Think about what Paul tells the Romans. In Romans 12, verse 14, he says, Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. But in the very next verse, verse 15, he says, Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. We need to spend more time associating. And associating is a key part of being social. Now, I know we call it social media, but we have taken all the association out of it. And put, what put, we put back into it was virtual reality association. I love my brother. 
I love that he has VR because we all like to go and look at it and check it out and you know, walk out on the edge of a building that's 200 stories tall and lean over the edge like you're going to fall. And it's amazing. But that's the society that we're turning into, a society that's fake, a society that is, that is virtual. We need to spend time associating with one another. We need to spend time as a part of one another. We're also afforded another great luxury of technology, and that's travel. And again, I'm so very thankful because on a weekly basis, my family bounces all over the state. We're here and we're there. We're everywhere going to studies and just setting, spending time with, with family and friends, relaxing, visiting. But I would say let's not let that become an excuse for us not to associate, not to be hospitable either. I guess my point in all of this is for us to look back to where it all began, where we started, Jesus died. He died so that we could be free from our sins. He died so He could make a way for foreign enemies of God to become citizen family members of His kingdom. So would we be happy if He decided to fellowship with us only up to the extent that we fellowship with one another? Could we live with that? Could we feel safe with that? Let's examine what we are doing here. Let's examine what we are doing to help fellowship and family relationships of the children of God grow here at Lake Street. And maybe this afternoon you're thinking of this and you're realizing I'm not a part of the family of God that meets here at Lake Street. I'm not a part of the Lord's family. Remember, it was through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice that you are joined to the family of God. And I want you to think one last passage. Go back to Acts chapter 2. We're just going to scroll on down to the very end of that, pa- of that, that verse. Or that chapter. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. And I want you to focus on the very last part of that verse. How did this family of believers in Acts chapter 2, who had all things in common, who continued daily with one another, who continued in fellowship, how did they come to be? And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. To become a member of the family of God, we must be saved by the blood of Jesus. We must connect with God on an intimate level through death and through rebirth. That begins just like it did in Acts chapter 2 by believing Jesus is who He said He was. Believing so much that it prompts a response in our heart. Acts chapter 2 says they were cut. They were pricked to the heart. They were crushed. They were sorrowful because they now realized who Jesus is and how far from Him they were. And their cry for help was answered by Peter's response, you can be a part of His family. Brothers and sisters, we can be a part of His family and we can be a better part of His family and we can continue to grow that throughout our lives. So my challenge this afternoon is for us never to look at where we are in our relationship with one another, in our relationship with God, and say, that's good enough. Let's be thorough, as we talked about in John's class. Let's have a thorough fellowship with one another that extends beyond our worshiping here at the building and overflows into our lives outside of here. If there's something that we can do to help you to begin your walk with Christ, to begin with with a decision to join the family of God. Know that that is our desire here at Lake Street to, to help foster that and to help to grow it.
Whatever it is that we can do to assist you, won't you please let it be known. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.